0: Hello Women in Diplomacy listeners, this is your host, Kelsey Sumnick. We primarily have female guests on this podcast, hence the Women in Diplomacy name, but you may not know, about one year ago, we had our very first male guests and it was so fun to record and full of really great tips that I thought I would repost it. It's a workshop episode on research and our guests are Eric Fogg and Xander Snyder. These two guys host the podcast Reconsider. Reconsider is awesome because it is a great place to dissect current events and breaking news. But what Xander and Eric do is they dig into the history and the theory behind what's in the headlines. So it's a great place to start, especially if you're still in school and you're assigned, you know, some sort of research paper and you're not sure what the background of a certain event or or conflict might be, don't go to Wikipedia. Check out Reconsider. And if you wanna see new episodes or you wanna learn more about a topic, get in touch. Xander and Eric are all about it. They love hearing from you. You can follow them on Twitter and Facebook at Reconsider. They even had me on as a guest. If you wanna check that out, it's the Smart Power episode that we did I think doing these episodes together were just a good reminder, and I want to send that out to all of you as well, that there are many amazing and supportive, dynamic men that are excited about collaborating with women, especially our generation, right? There's a lot of millennial men who they expect to have, you know, equal representation in the workplace. And they also value maybe the different perspective that a female might bring. That's definitely the vibes I get from these guys, and they have some advice for you, some things to say, because they'd like to see you out there too. So I hope you enjoy, and as always, be in touch with feedback at theforeignpolicyproject.org. Xander and Eric, welcome. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? What are your your backgrounds?
1: Sure, and thanks for having us on, Kelsey. My background's primarily finance. I came out of school, worked in investment banking, M&A, debt, equity, all that sort of stuff. Hated it, left, worked in real estate and investing, did some independent financial work on my own, and then decided to start a tech company in the energy efficiency space. So I moved into startup land up in Silicon Valley. And yes, it is oddly similar to the show if you watch it. Um, And of course, I now do the Reconsider podcast with Eric. So I'm Eric. Uh, I'm a political scientist. I studied at
2: MIT, got my master's and bachelor's there in political science and international relations. I worked briefly with academia, got very tired of it very fast. Uh, worked briefly with an NGO that works with the UN. Uh, I got a, a little bit of an opportunity to work on the constitution of South Sudan. Uh, got into operations management consulting, which I had a ball with, but it was not my mission. But it gave me a ton of great opportunities. I learned so much doing that. And now these days, I'm a political pundit. Uh, I've got a book called Wedged that I wrote uh, about American politics. And this is what I do now, and I have a ton of fun.
0: That's another reason I wanted to have you guys on the podcast is because you're very reflective of um, our listeners out there in terms of trying new things, trying things in your career, moving on when you realize it's not right for you or when the curiosity has run dry. So I hope everyone that is out there listening recognizes that there are so many different things you can do with your career and your and your path, just like Xander and Eric So let's dig into some advice on the best ways to tackle research. How do you know when you've discovered a great research topic?
2: So we try to pick stuff that is, of course, going to be interesting because we want people to be engaged when they listen. But we want to pick stuff that's important. And I think that's a huge factor in our success so far, both for keeping us engaged and for keeping our listeners engaged. I think when I was in academia, I saw a lot of papers that just bored me to tears. And they have their place, uh, some of them, Um, in particular in changing some, uh, you know, methodological questions about, you know, how do we study political science and stuff like that. But when they felt really impactful, they were generally quite interesting. So I think you want to pick something where when you're considering the question, you're saying, if I'm able to answer this question or help, people answer this question. Is it going to make a difference in the world? And I think we always try to focus on that. Um, And so for us in particular, since our listeners are united just by the fact that they are participants in a democracy, we pick topics that are related to things that they can influence in their democracy. And I have a longer rant at some other time that I think most people underestimate the impact that they can have on government. um, And they're too fatalistic about it. But with that, we pick topics that are either timely and, and current or timeless. Uh, so there's going to be some stuff going on right now, like the South China Sea, that maybe in 20 years isn't as interesting, uh, although in this case, I doubt it. But we also pick stuff like free speech or understanding oil prices um, or understanding demagoguery that's going to be important in our democracy for all time. Uh, so I think that imp- that issue of importance is the biggest thing. And if it feels really interesting and compelling to you, you should pick it. The other guidance I always have for myself about a topic is start with a question. Um, I think a lot of people look for a topic in terms of either just a thesis or a theme. um, And picking a question within a theme and eventually coming up with a thesis is important. But I always want to start with a question because people go you know, because Answering these questions is what helps people make decisions and really, really do stuff.
0: I like what you said about academic papers, right? There's, there's a place and a time for those, but I want to help women in diplomacy listeners to write bigger, better, more impactful papers. There's a lot of case studies out there, right? I think the Cold War is one of them. It is a very chessboard way of looking at the world. That era was definitely a lot of black and white. But now in our generation, as we start to work on important foreign policy and international issues, there are so many gray areas. And that's what is exciting, but also challenging about figuring out where research can be helpful, how to ask specific questions and and how to make sure our research is useful in a way. I had a mentor tell me in grad school that nothing you do in grad school should stay in school. It should all be usable in the real world, right? That presentation that you made, make sure to film it and put it on, you know, put it in as part of your portfolio. That paper you wrote, imagine what if you could forward that to the Secretary of State and have it show up on their desk. Do you guys agree with that? I mean, that that is definitely why I like to listen to Reconsider is because I sense this, this curiosity behind it of really wanting to know more and break out of the regular research kind of cut and dry topics.
2: Yeah, you can't see it, but I'm nodding a lot as you say that. And it's, you know, I think the Cold War example is a good one where it's this safe, you know, I think people, people who are grad students frequently are looking for safe avenues to sort of do their, you know, do their time, right? And yeah. put out a paper that is respectable and, and unassailable, um, because you don't want some professor trying to poke holes in you. And I just think that that's a path to mediocrity. Um, and it's certainly wasting your time. Uh, and I think that these new questions that you bring up about the gray world that we're living in, they're really scary. And you go, ah, you know, I don't have I don't have a good basis on which to make this, you know, very tiny incremental point that nobody cares about, uh, but we will look at academically. And, you know, it just it it frustrates me a lot to see that. Um, And I think there's all the room in the world when you are working with the right people to break out of that and start digging into some of this muddy, gray, scary stuff where there isn't a lot of work done. And I think that that's, of course, where the work should be done. The reason it's scary is because smart people like you guys haven't
1: done the work yet. I think there's definitely a role for a bridge here, too, right? Because I think in foreign policy in particular, there is a bit of a gap between this theorizing that happens behind the ivory towers and the discussion that really needs to get that really needs to take place and i don't think all of those concepts are so complicated that lay people or, or non-professionals can't understand them
0: where do you start when you know that you need to research something um and xander i know we've talked before you have these great tiers of research tell us about that a little more
1: Sure. Uh, I, I really think that if you're digging into a new issue, the trick is at first breadth rather than depth. So go out and read enough to begin to form an initial impression and read from multiple sources. And then just as you begin to feel emotionally attached to one perspective or another, and it's a really subtle thing that you begin to notice the more you look for it, seek out a contrary opinion to the one that you just became emotionally attached to so this means that at this sort of quote regular media level that I'll talk about in a second you really need to seek out different outlets so th- this tiers of research is just the way that i structure my different sources in my head and the first of these is i'll call it regular media so just stuff that you're basically used to seeing and reading from The Guardian, Washington Post, New York Times, BBC, Associated Press, Al Jazeera. I tend to avoid certain outlets at this point, stuff like CNN, Fox, MSNBC, not necessarily because of the bias that they have per se, but because these outlets have tended increasingly towards a rapid response structure with an aim to fill time rather than developed, nuanced, thoughtful coverage. And that, to me, doesn't seem like it's the best way to spend my time, is by constantly getting the most up-to-date story that is not really that up-to-date or pressing because that's the only way that they market their news anymore. The second tier is what I call somewhat specialized. So it's maybe slightly longer form articles than what you usually see in the regular media category. It's maybe a little bit more difficult to read, but not that much more difficult. Examples that fall into this category, stuff like Foreign Affairs Magazine, Foreign Policy Magazine, perhaps The Economist, and perhaps also The Atlantic, depending on which piece you're referring to. All of these outlets are great, and I highly recommend reading them on a regular basis because you just start to think about the issues that you see and hear in the regular media category in a different way. Third tier is what I call specialized, but not quite academic. So there's there are sources that really do begin to get pretty complex and nuanced in how they discuss things, but they're not really quite academic. They don't have a, a long bibliography at the end with footnotes and all that. And just a couple of examples that fall into this category are the diplomat, which is a great outlet covering All of Asia, Asia geopolitics, current history is another great monthly journal, stuff like think tank research, like the Brookings Institute, CSIS, um, and perhaps the Institute for the Study of War. Some of those can kind of get into the academic category, depending on the article. And then this last category is just academic, so research papers, stuff that is coming out of a university setting. My approach
2: philosophically is obviously the same the way that i think about it is every time i'm looking into something i'm thinking what question am i trying to answer and i look for something that's going to give me that answer and that answer doesn't have to be the facts of the case i might be asking how do people think about this how does the right wing think about this you know how does fox news frame this how does huffington post frame this what does it look like from their perspective this is something that aristotle does really well if you read the nicomachean ethics Uh, With each thing, he says, it is important for us to start with what is the, I mean, essentially the common understanding of this thing. And knowing what that is, as a point of departure, I think is very important. Don't just go running around. Don't try to beef up your bibliography. You're wasting your time. Precision in your research, I think, is very important. Saves you a lot of time. Keeps you from just having a mess of 500 pages of notes that you need to work with. Um, and keeps you focused because what you're doing at research is an exploration. Um, it is understanding what's going on. And if you're looking at anything big and complex, which you should be, you're not going to be able to learn everything about it for a single paper. I mean, that's what sort of what getting a PhD and being a lifelong expert is about. So don't try to. Try to answer some very specific questions. Um, understand what those questions are. And as you read stuff, you're going to develop more of them. um, And then sort of just iterate as you go, find the thing that answers it, understand it, cite that, uh, and keep moving.
0: What should we do to make sure we are effective researchers and that we don't get lost, like you said, Eric, and, you know, kind of beefing up our bibliographies?
1: I think a really important process to develop when researching, especially politics, is a certain degree of self-skepticism and detachment from your own ideas uh, so that they don't get caught up in your identity. Because the more that you emotionally attach to one perspective or another, the more difficult it's going to be to be moved from that position if you encounter new information. So we all have this internal dialogue, trying to avoid saying things to yourself like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Uh, That obviously can't be right. Or even that definitely does make sense. Try reframing that internal dialogue just to say to yourself, well, does this make sense? Would this be true in all situations? Can I find examples that contradict that? And what would it take for me to change my existing position?
0: Yeah. And Eric, I love this line. I think where you want to go next is going to be something you can't really write a recipe for. What's that about?
2: Oh, oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that I've read some books on, you know, methods for political scientists. I've read books on, uh, I've been a professional like technical problem solver. And what I've learned in all this stuff is that often people try to write manuals to tell you what to do so that you know that you are comprehensive because you don't want to miss stuff. Um, unfortunately, I think the more that you, and there's this great book called thinking and it teaches us a lot about how we think about stuff. But the, one of the core takeaways is that the more procedural you make something and the more you try to make something, a recipe, Uh, the less your brain is actually engaged and the less you are making decisions, particularly smart ones. So, you know, going back to the recipe example, the difference between a great chef and a mediocre cook is not having the right recipes in your book. Um, You become good at this through thinking about it carefully and, and, and obviously practicing it. And that's why I like to lean back on principles more than, Stepwise stuff. And the core principle for me is that questioning and answering uh, iteration that I go through. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think maybe this ties back into our chessboard examples, right? That there is a use for recipes to learn and reference them and understand, you know, in relation to them, how things are progressing. But it's our job as researchers to be those master chefs to, to become great cooks.
2: Exactly. Certainly practice on the recipes. And whenever you're going to cook something new, certainly look at the recipes, right? Understand sort of what's the basis here. Don't, you don't have to start from scratch, um, but just use them as guides for yourself and, and ways to provoke thinking rather than instead of thinking.
0: Based on recent Reconsider episodes, what would you propose as great research topics for our listeners to start pursuing? Mm
1: future episodes that we're going to do, we're going to call them toolbox episodes. So it's going to be how to think about the same thing from different perspectives that might yield different conclusions and therefore policy outcomes. So something that's interesting to me is there's all this work being done in cognitive psychology right now and decision-making theory. And there there is already some work being done on this, but more on how we understand systematic biases in our decision-making process and how that influences the construction of our identity as a society, I think would be interesting to understand. Yeah, my general guidance on this is go big or go home. So, you know, something I'm thinking about is how do we
2: deter Russia from invading Estonia or more of Ukraine?
1: Yeah. And on the geopolitical front, how do we understand China's role in the world within the context of its multiple thousand year old history? And how difficult is that for us as Americans to do when our own history is only a couple of hundred years old?
2: Right. And related to that, you know, what what are the things that would trigger war in this powder keg that is the South China Sea and how can we prevent it? Better understanding what variables drive countries to war. Yeah. I mean, another big topic that's on my mind, what's the hang up to preventing the Palestinian state from emerging? Right. What's the hang up to for Israel of uh, keeping them from allowing a state and how do you remove that hang up?
0: That is so great to hear just off the top of your head what kind of topics you feel like need extra work. This is definitely excellent resources for um, all of those students out there listening. So tell me about Reconsider. Why should we tune in?
2: Ah, well, as I said earlier, it's fun. And that's really the number one reason you should tune in because I think that you should not be wasting your time on stuff that is dry and terrible and boring. Our goal is to not just inform you about stuff. What we try to do is we try to help people think uh, by giving them new context, by giving them some tools and structures about how to think about a specific topic that's important, that's relevant, that's current. Um, And this is incredibly important. You're participating in a democracy, probably, uh, depending on where you're listening from. And you have to make these decisions. You have to elect people who are going to Make these decisions and um you know whether you're voting or talking to people or writing op-eds or whatever it is uh being a thought leader rather than just someone that follows the crowd is really important in making this whole democracy experiment a success and we want to help you do that
1: so some of the topics that we've covered to date have to do with different ways to think about the us's strategy with isis we've talked about the iran nuclear deal and how that will play into the larger arena of Middle Eastern geopolitics. Most recently, we did a two-part show on the South and East China Sea, where China is very aggressively, but in a very weird tactical sort of way, trying to lay greater claim to different areas of the ocean.
0: Yeah, that's been my favorite episode so far.
2: Going forward, I think some of the stuff that we can sneak up there is we're planning to talk about the Brexit, uh, which is the potential British exit from the EU. Uh, we want to talk a little more about Russia and Eastern Europe, because uh, that's a powder cake waiting to blow that I think is uh, just hidden by the more, you know, if it bleeds, it leads type of excitement in the Middle East. Um, and we're going to talk about a lot of not foreign policy stuff. We're also kind of armchair economics and philosophy students. Uh, and we think that all that stuff is very important as well for someone trying to participate in a democracy. Um, So we might have a free speech thing coming up soon, too.
0: And so for women in diplomacy listeners, if they are interested in having you guys tackle a specific topic, how how can they get in touch with Reconsider?
2: Ooh, great question. Easiest way is probably to leave a comment on the blog where we post our episodes as well as some other stuff. It's at reconsiderpod.com and you'll find a link to the Reconsider blog there. They can also email us. Currently, our email is stc at com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook or Twitter at ReconsiderPod. We read all this stuff. We're really interested in hearing what people want us to talk about and because we want to talk about the stuff that people want us to talk about. So we are really excited about more suggestions. And uh, if people are excited enough about something, we will pop it to the top of the queue.
0: Of course, because this is the Women in Diplomacy podcast. What are some career advice that you want to share? Maybe something that you've received or something that you've learned?
1: Yeah, so I'm reading a book right now called Thinking Fast and Slow. And it's about, as I've been talking about a lot on this show, decision making. And what's interesting is one of the big findings in in cognitive psychology recently is that people tend to draw causal inferences from events and construct a narrative so that there is some sort of cohesiveness in our minds of what has happened, when in fact, luck plays a much larger role in what happens in our lives and in the world. So to that end, I think as someone who's actually had a couple of really drastic career changes in their 20s so far one takeaway that i've gotten is if you want to do something new persistence is really key you need to generate as many opportunities for yourself so that that one lucky event happens at the same time you need to recognize that if you have a large enough data set of attempts that you've tried you know you've instead of 100 applications you've sent 300 it's good to start off with some limits. So say, I'm going to try to do this career change up until this point and do that beforehand so that uh, you don't get persuaded by the sunk cost fallacy. So to that point, since sometimes luck is a bigger driver in our lives and in our careers than we're maybe comfortable giving it credit for, don't be afraid to act boldly on a whim if the opportunity comes up. For example, this podcast that I do with Eric, happened almost by chance. I was getting luck or getting lunch rather with a mutual acquaintance of ours, my friend from school, and he'd kind of mentioned having conversations with Eric and I had been participating on the forum on his site. And then my friend's fiance just sort of off the cuff said, you know, if you guys did a podcast, I would listen to that. It would be interesting. And so I shot Eric an email and said, hey, we should do this. And now we have a project that we're both really interested in that we're engaged with. So set boundaries for yourself while being persistent, but don't be afraid to act boldly if something comes up.
2: I think the thing that I've learned is that the people I've seen that are most successful are those who have found their purpose and their mission. So they, they know what this is, and they're just wholly devoted to it. Because I think that devotion and that excitement is what makes people successful rather than not. When I say success, I don't necessarily mean you've made the most money or you're the most famous or whatever because you know what we're talking about is making an impact what we're talking about is you know the reason you're in diplomacy and foreign policy is you want to make the world a better place i mean this is a you're dealing with issues where people die right um and sometimes a lot and so that's that's at the crux of your mission and you want to help people live in peace and prosperity um and so you probably need to get a little more specific for that for your specific career, but that should be at the heart of it is you're going, you're asking this question. Am I doing the thing that's helping me get people closer to this peace and peaceful and prosperity life that I want them to have. Um, And so that's, you know, for me, that's principle one is, is have that at your heart. And the other one is uh, don't freak out if you're tacking rather than sailing true. Right. So tacking is, you know, when a, When you're sailing against the wind, you kind of sail back and forth and back and forth to get the wind um, into the right part of your sails. But if it's not behind you and you're tacking, that's fine. You're still, you know, you can't change the wind. You just roll with it. So if you're wandering or meandering a bit, um, that's fine. Just keep thinking about it and keep making decisions. And don't think that you just have to hop on whatever train is stopping at your station right now. to try to go that way because it might not be the right one for you.
0: Any advice for aspiring podcasters out there?
1: One, frequency. Make sure that you're putting out content with some degree of frequency so people will continue to listen and consume your content. Uh, two, content, obviously, pick something that you're passionate about that you won't mind spending some hours of prep time on. And three, don't set unrealistic goals. Because if you say, I'm going to do a podcast episode every week, and it's going to be an hour and a half long, you're going to burn yourself out quickly, and you're going to lose the motivation to do it. Uh, just mm-hmm. do it. I mean, the your first episode is going to
2: be crap. If you listen to our first episode, uh, we've <laughs> recorded it because it was crap. And just, it doesn't matter. Um, get a microphone, you know, apropos of all the previous advice, find stuff that you're really interested in, ans- questions you want to answer. And... You know, you're going to go, oh, I'm not an expert in this. I don't care. You are going to do the work. You're going to work hard. You're going to be passionate about it. And you're going to be able to provide insight for so many people that could be interested. Um, You know, and of course, make it fun. And the best way to make it fun for them is to make it fun for you.
0: Do you have any closing inspiration or words of wisdom to sign off
2: with? This is the single most important thing I ever realized. I'm going to die. And so are you. And you know that, but you don't, you probably don't know that in your heart of hearts, deep down, you probably don't have a skull on your desk that you look at every day, like a good enlightenment era writer or scientist, but you're going to die and you have a very, very short amount of time. And of all the stupid inspirational quotes that get thrown around with like the sun, you know, sunrise in the background. One of the few that I've ever really liked is the Buddha telling you that the problem is you think you have time. Um, I know I talked a lot about purpose and mission and you're alive on this planet for a tragically, tragically short amount of time, quit dithering around and do it. Don't play by the rules of someone else's game. Don't frame your life, your life's success. By someone else's rules. So if you're in academia, don't think about how to climb the academic ladder unless it's a means to an end for your mission.
1: As Marcus Brutus put it in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, Fates, we shall know your pleasures, that we shall die. We know tis but the time and drawing days out that men stand upon. So just do it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Women in Diplomacy podcast. The theme song for this podcast is Misty Moses by the musicians Rodrigo y Gabriela. A very special thanks to Ruby Works Records in Dublin for allowing use of this song for educational purposes.